Hello and welcome to episode 45 of the Pure Tokyo Scope podcast. I am Patrick Macias, the author of Tokyo Scope, the Japanese cult film companion. And as I often tell my elderly neighbors, we beat you in 45 and we'll beat you again tonight. What a cheery thought to begin this on. I'm Matt Alt, the author of many things, but most uh, importantly, Pure Invention, How Japan Made the Modern World. And we're in the modern world right now, are we not? I think so. This is a modern world, Matt. And uh, we've got some news, some news you can use, some news you can't use. And this is one you sent to me excitedly and it says here Godzilla extends attack on Seaside Hotel in Japan fans invited to hours long escape room game Atami has long been one of Japan's most popular seaside travel destinations located in Shizuoka prefecture at the eastern entrance to the Izu peninsula the Atami Bay Resort Karakuen Hotel is currently running the escape from the hotel being attacked by Godzilla escape room game I was excited about this until I heard it was an escape room. I don't want to be a Debbie Downer in the first beginning part of our fun podcast, but I despise escape rooms. Have you ever done one of those? I did one for about two and a half years when I was stuck in my room during lockdown, and there were a lot of Godzilla figures in the room, so this actually kind of triggers my anxiety a little bit. There's a picture of this escape room game. It's basically like a normal hotel room overlooking the ocean in Atami with like a big picture of Godzilla taped to the window like he's peeping on you. I love the idea of like a Godzilla attack where like you're in a building and Godzilla's on the outside trying to just kind of find you inside the building. Like it's, doesn't Godzilla normally just smash the building down? That's what I thought. Apparently the game unfolds over four and a half to six hours and they use the entire hotel as the game venue. So I guess like they lose your luggage or like there's room service with like a clumsy waiter. Do you get to like run up and down the halls pounding on people's doors and running away? That was the escape room game we used to play when I was like seven years old in a hotel. I don't know. I mean, there's very few things besides sleep that I want to do for six hours straight, <laughs> but a hell, I'm game for anything. Let's go to Atami, Patrick. Well, the thing about Atami is Atami does have kind of a history with Tokusatsu films. At the ending of King Kong versus Godzilla in 1962, they destroy Atami Castle. And then in Gapa, Gapa attacks kind of the beachfront property there. So why not a Gapa hotel room escape room game? Gapa the escape. Um, is that like Journey Escape? The reason I think all those Tokusatsu things are set there is because Atami used to be this really kind of high-end place, you know, with a lot of expensive resorts, and it's really run down now. I don't think even Kaiju attack it anymore. We're going to get in trouble for saying this about an entire city. I love it. I went there last summer for the first time and I loved it. It's literally like a time-space anomaly where like everything was made in the 1980s. It's like a neutron bomb went off. <laughs> yes. But it was great. I just flopped around in the ocean and just drank a bunch of highballs and it was great. And the views are beautiful, spectacular. Yeah, the views are beautiful. Usually I only see it like at 300 kilometers an hour when the bullet train is speeding by, but about, God, 10 years back now, Hiroko and I went to Izu Oshima Island, which is also famous because in Godzilla 1985, they dropped Godzilla into Mount Mihara to seal him away forever. Godzilla has fallen into the crater of Mount Mihara. The lava discharged by the eruption has dragged the creature into the mouth of the volcano. By the way, yes, I only can define Japanese geography or history in terms of like where Godzilla was at a given time in a given film. It's a very, like the, the seas get kind of rough around there and the, the usual ferry got diverted. And so actually this sounds a lot like The Ring, which also is set on Izu-Oshima and they had to take the boat with like Sadako's remains back to Tokyo in another scene. So our hydrofoil, I'm not making this up, got diverted and we wound up in Atami instead of Tokyo. And so Hiroko and I had to kind of, it was like, 
like kind of like an escape game. We had to work our way up from the docks of Atami to the uh, bullet train to get back home. And so that's like kind of my memories of that city. Like you ran out of food and there were all these like delicious mushrooms called Matango, like on the beach. It was a three hour tour, a three hour tour. Definitely Matango is better than Gilligan's Island. If I'm going to put them head to head, Matango definitely trumps Gilligan's Island. So we've both been to Atami, but I've never done an escape room game. I've never paid for the privilege. I did it for free for two and a half years, like I said earlier. Have you ever done an escape room game? I did one like years. I had some like millennial, zillennial friends and we were visiting them in, in Vancouver or something. And we went, God, I just, I remember like about 10 minutes into this, I was like, you know, if I want this, I'd play a video game if I want this kind of experience. And also I probably didn't help that I was completely sober. I don't, I don't know. I think I was maybe the first sober person ever to go through this particular escape room. It was like, you had to get, you had to like find a key or something. It was, it, it had this kind of vaguely Lovecraftian kind of thing going on where you were trying to like decipher a curse or find some kind of, it's kind of like a tabletop role-playing game, but in a room with like a bunch of like, you know, props and stuff. And then you're wearing earpieces and when you get lost, like you inevitably do, you hear this like really bored teenage person being like, try the thing on the wall, you know? (laughs) It's like being a paranoid schizophrenic a little bit. That's kind of what it sounds like. I want to escape this topic, Patrick. I want to escape to the next one. We'll move on to our next news item, which is Disney's got a finished Aliens versus Predator anime it may never release. During an April episode of the Perfect Organism podcast celebrating Alien Day, 20th Century Studios ex-licensing director Josh Izzo revealed an Alien versus Predator anime was made at some point prior to the acquisition. According to him, there's 10 episodes of a fully completed Alien vs. Predator anime series that I produced. Without explicitly confirming it, Izzo implies that the director was Shinji Aramaki, who recently directed Adult Swim's Blade Runner, Black Lotus. I forgot about Alien Day this year, Matt. I was busy celebrating Illegal Alien Day at the detention center in Shinagawa. You ever been mistaken for a man, Patrick? Is there an Alien Day? Like, in this day and age, it would not surprise me even slightly if there oh, really was Oh, they try. Wasn't. They try every year. There's Walt Disney World, but why isn't there, like, Alien World, where, like, you can go and, like, somebody at the table will flop over and, like, a giant maggot will burst out of their chest? Why don't we have that? I have a confession to make. You've never seen Alien vs. Predator, Matt, the hit movie that everybody's talking about. I want to be one these people, I've never seen Alien, you know, like walking around like, I've never seen Star Wars. Well, I say that about Alien versus Predator, but no one's impressed. I almost forgot that movie existed. Is there an AVP2? I think so. And then there's Predators, and then there's like the, I don't even, I've lost track. But I don't know if this is going to shed any light on this particular topic, but now it can be told. I was actually interpreting, I was on one of the meetings between Shinji Aramaki and the stakeholders. I'd actually totally forgotten that I had done this job. Were the stakeholders like two Weasley white guys from like the Wayland Utani Corporation? <laughs> they came out of cold storage hypersleep. Is that what it was? Did you ask Shinji Aramaki about the bonus situation? It was an incredibly friendly meeting. Like everybody was excited. Like sometimes I've been in interpreting sessions where there's been a lot of like tension between the two parties. And I know this because usually both sides bash up on the interpreter. By the way, if you're ever planning on going into interpreting, just know you are the enemy. Like anytime anything goes wrong in a negotiation that you're interpreting for, both sides will immediately blame you for the fact 
that they can't like reach an agreement on something. Like you mistranslated that anyway. None of that in this. I mean, it was great. I mean, Shinji Aramaki, who I've known for a really long time. You know, I interviewed him for Otaku USA magazine. Just like he's a consummate professional and he's a really nice guy. And the other side on this was really nice too. And the conversation they had was fruitful. I, I so I have no idea what happened here. Wait, the meeting didn't end with them saying, "Oh, by the way, we're never going to release whatever you make." So why don't you go make ten of them? <laughs> exactly. Oh, by the way, yeah, that was the big mic drop, and then they walked out. It's funny. I guess this is just one of those like casualties of war. Didn't they get bought out by Disney? I don't even Fox understand. Got bought by Disney, so Ripley became a Disney princess. <sighs> Ripley, believe it or not. Anyway, it's a shame. Uh, it looked like I, from from what little I saw of it during the interpreting process, it looked like it was going to be cool. I hope it comes. That was out. a traditional hand drawn Japanese animation in the traditional style or was it CGI nuclear garbage? Well, Aramaki, Aramaki-san, you know, we know him well because he was one of the series co-creators on Mospita, which was incorporated as part of the Robotech trilogy. And then, you know, he is is widely famed in Japan as the kind of, if you have a robot that transforms into a motorcycle or vice versa, he is your man. He did the, the ride armor in Mospita. He did the Garland from Megazone 2-3. He did the, what is it called? The Moto Slave from Bubblegum Crisis. And more recently, he's been doing a lot of CG adaptations, mainly CG adaptations of Western properties. He did like a Halo thing, and he's been doing a lot of stuff at Sola Digital Arts, where they do kind of a lot of crossover stuff. I mean, he did those Appleseed movies. Yeah, he does some Japanese IP too. Also, Captain Harlock. Harlock was amazing, yeah. Harlock was really amazing for its time. I like his stuff. Anyway, this was CG too. No idea what it would have turned into or anything like that. But, you know, I mean, everything's CG now. It's just like, I don't need, like not even Studio Ghibli is animating stuff by hand anymore. They have like big CG, I think swaths of CG happening. But someday it could still be released. I mean, there's so many different stories you can tell about aliens fighting predators. So as soon as Disney runs like Marvel and Lucasfilm into the ground, I mean, this is pretty much their get out of jail card. No matter what happens, it can't ever hope to compare to the Capcom Aliens versus Predator arcade game. That thing was amazing. Do you remember that? Oh yeah, I played the heck out of that. Yeah, there's like this big like bruiser, like Arnold Schwarzenegger dude with like a machine gun for an arm. It's like a, you know, weird Tarantino character and then you have like you can be a predator you can be one of the predator you can either be the predator with like the big stick spike thing or you can be a predator with like the kind of claw things on your hands it was it was from that like kind of golden era of belt scrolling punch him ups that started with Final Fight it's like yeah it's like Final Fight except you can be a predator that was a cool game that game is the reason why every time I come across like a roast turkey dinner in the street or like a chopped ham salad or something I'll eat it and like re-energize what is it with Capcom games and like the idea that like finding a piece of meat on the street will give you energy again. It even helps you recover from like being shot or like stabbed. <laughs> it's just like, the I love those. I love the 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 logic of those games, the dream logic of those games. Uh, don't try this at home, kids. If you do see a big roast turkey sitting on top of a garbage can, don't eat. It will not restore your health. It will not fix bullet holes. I promise. Okay. Speaking of street meat, news item number three, McDonald's Japan announces Heisei Burger campaign. Three popular burgers sold by McDonald's during Japan's Heisei era are coming back for a limited time. Three products, including the egg double, the roasted sesame beef filet and the juicy chicken black pepper will be available at McDonald's stores nationwide in Japan from May 31st. These items first appeared on the menu during Japan's Heisei era which lasted from 1989 to 2019. 
So Matt, they're calling this the Heisei Burger Dai Fukatsu, the Great Resurrection. Is this like Nostr- Nostradamus's like great prediction, or like the Dai Reikai, the the Great Beyond of Tamba Tetsuro? Well, here's the thing: is like foreigners now love Showa. Everyone's like, you know, I love city pop. I love all this old Japanese stuff. But now Japan's in the middle of a Heisei retro boom. It's like definitely happening. And Matt, are you nostalgic for those long gone thrilling days of yesteryear, 1989 to 2019? You know why I think this is going on by the way i think that the the reason that foreigners are so into showa while as actually young people are more into heisei is because of a youtube algorithm oh yes that's right ai i blame ai it's because all of the stuff from showa that hit america hit it like 10 15 years like after it broadcast we're kind of late on that stuff young people in japan grew up during the heisei era so if you want to like get a bunch of 20 year olds to eat at mcdonald's this is the way you do it uh there's a commercial for this heisei burger great resurrection starring talent Eliza Ikeda, and she's saying like Gadu Ergot, like Cho Berry Good. Cho Berry Goo. And she's dressed like Ayumi Hamasaki. And there's actually some negative comments on social media. Can you imagine about the Heisei Burger campaign? I'm much more interested in like 90s street culture than I am in like 90s like burger culture. Although I'm sure there's a lot of overlap between the co-gals who are pioneering all of the stuff that we take for granted from social media today, like doing selfies and print club machines and like, you you know, texting on pocket pagers and uh, creating emoji. I'm sure there's a lot of overlap between those ladies of the digital streets and McDonald's uh, consumers. Yeah, there were some negative comments on social media, so I'd like to share them with you right now. Please, please, yeah, because I, wait, somebody said something negative on social media? A Japanese person said something negative about the Heisei Burger Great Resurrection. When I watch the McDonald's commercial, I think that the images of the Heisei era that I know are completely different from the Heisei that is often commercialized. When I looked at this commercial, it seemed really fictitious. This Heisei burger was inspired by true events. The best comment I saw online was this brutal mic drop. He said, give us Heisei prices, not the burgers. Ooh, sick burn. Sick burn. I wonder what the prices were. But I haven't probably eaten a McDonald's burger since Heisei. You know, for a podcast that talks nonstop about Western fast food chains in Japan, like I never eat it. So what What do they even go for these days? I don't, I I don't know. I looked this up and during the Heisei era, a cheeseburger, a standard cheeseburger went for between 80 to 100 yen. And currently, cheeseburgers go for 170 yen a pop. So that's a bit of inflation. The burger index, is that what Noah Smith calls it? No, yeah, The Economist has been doing the Big Mac index, which is like their kind of their tongue in cheek guide to, you know, what the actual purchasing power of money is, like whether it's overvalued or undervalued. Yeah, the thing is, like recently, my buddies at the Matsuya Beef Bowl chain, they did a Heisei tomato curry campaign and they had actually reduced the prices. It was basically free. You know, I think Japan is actually very very undervalued on the Economist Big Mac index, which makes sense because Japan is, I shouldn't even be saying this. I don't want more people coming here at the moment. It's just wait to come until like prices, fares drop. Prices are very cheap in Japan to eat out and stuff like that. So it makes sense that McDonald's would be too. On that note, our final story for the news here, Matt, finally, some good news. I can't even believe this is happening. Hit me, hit me. So the Hallelujah Chorus starts playing and the headline reads, Suntory lowers the price of beer in Japan. The Suntory Beverage Company in Tokyo announced on May 25th that it will reduce the price of canned beer from October 1st due to the tax reduction due to the revision of the liquor tax. The main product, known as the Premium Malts Beer, is expected to drop in price to around 192 yen. 
I'm happy about this. Suntory malts is amazing. Premium malts. Can we? Premium can malts we... is a good beer, dude. It is. It's a wait. You know, I, I love I love Japanese beer. Light lagers. It's the dominant style here because they're the most drinkable. But I think the roots of this particular happening is that the Japanese government a couple years back realized that their taxing structure on beer was and all sorts of alcoholic beverages was completely bonkers. They were taxing based on the malt content of beverages. What this did was, instead of getting them more revenues, it spurred the brewers to create these weird near beers, these like alcoholic beer adjacent products that use things like soy peptides. Instead Are you of- talking about Hoppo Shoe, Matt? I'm talking about Hoppo Shoe and my favorite, like Dyson beer. What's it called? The third beer, the like third beer product? Is it like third world? They're not third world because it takes like all the technology of like this economic slash techno empire to make this thing just to save a few cents on taxes. Anyway, the bottom line being that like these like products were forcing actual beer out of the marketplace because there were so like Japanese like customers were turning in droves to just save like five yen a can on something. I mean, I got to say, when I see the senior citizens outside the company drinking beer, there usually are drinking hoppo shoe. When you see yes. like the front of the station, like all covered in cans on a Sunday morning, yes. it's 90% hoppo shoe cans. Yes. And actually on this note, they were overtaxing sake in comparison to wine. And so there was like a big pushback because like sake is like Japan's traditional, what's like what Toshiro Mifune puts down before like cutting down a bunch of poor saps with a samurai sword and like, you know, Kurosawa flick. Yeah. As James Bond says, oh, I like sake. <laughs> sake, you're the shimpai and I'm the kohai. Um <laughs> So they're they're actually bringing the taxes on shake uh, down and wine up so that like they're not being unfairly taxed. I think this is part of it. But this is a big price drop. Okay, so a can of the premium malts from Suntory goes from between 247 yen to around 240 yen at the Konbini. And now it's expected to drop in October to 192 yen a can. So that's like $1.37 for a can of decent beer. Yeah, which is already like that's twice what it costs to buy like a can of Budweiser in the States, I think. I don't really know. Yeah, sadly, the price drop is only going to affect regular cans, not those tall boys, which means I still need to sneak like three of these into the movie theater. Well, the irony of this is that like the tax is kind of what's known as a sin tax. It's like designed to make it like so that you think twice before putting these poisonous substances in your body. But yet last year, the Japanese government launched this drink more campaign. You know, kids aren't drinking enough, but maybe you should start thinking about drinking. It's the only country in the world that ever launched a campaign like this. We talked about it a couple of episodes back. So it's kind of odd. They're like, Japanese want their cake and eat it too. They have a sin tax and yet they're like, they want people to drink more. So I don't know. What what a world we live in, Patrick. I think I'm going to crack a Suntory and think about this. Yeah, but the future is so bright. I got to wear shades because I'm hung over it because it says here, Asahi Breweries has announced in response, it will also cut the prices of canned super dry and Kirin will cut the prices of Ichiban Shibori, Matt. The battle has begun. The beer war is likely to intensify. Is this what Godzilla Final Wars was about? I think so. Is it, you know, Godzilla tends to get stirred up when like humans like disturb the natural order. So perhaps this like return from soy peptides to actual malt and beer is going to be enough to put him back to sleep. Maybe we won't have to escape that uh, hotel room after all. Tony Aizunama is a stock phrase to order your first drink. Since beer can be served relatively quickly, it became commonplace. On a side note, Japanese beer is considered best served icy cold. Toyaizu Nama! Hey, Nama! Kanpai! Kanpai! 
Well, thank you so much for listening to our latest episode of Pure Tokyo Scope. We hope you continue to enjoy the show and support it, and we'll keep making it. As long as you keep eating Heisei burgers. And drinking Hoppo Shoe, even though real beer is cheaper now. Real beer is cheaper now, exactly. So yes, crack a beer or 10 and wait for our next episode. Catch you next time.